welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning again. Man, Christmas time is finally in full swing, isn't it? Like, I'm not going to point any fingers, but it was reported to me that one of your houses has seven Christmas trees in it. I'm not going to say who that was, but uh, your husbands are telling on you that you have seven Christmas trees. That's okay, though. Oh, I may have started a domestic incident. I I shouldn't have done that. Uh, It... uh, it's okay though because I have developed this weird addiction to Christmas lights on my house. Like every time I go to Walmart, I have to have more Christmas lights. It doesn't matter how many you put up, you're always like, it needs, it needs another strand there and another strand there. And so we're all in this together. Have any of you guys been to town on like a Friday or Saturday night here lately? We drove down there last night, and they were backed up to Ramsey Mountain trying to get through that light display down there. And I, I kind of chuckled. It's like me and Jessica live here, and we go down there like Tuesday night, and there's nobody in the entire park. And these people were backed up for hours trying to get in there. Just fair warning, don't, don't go into a town on Saturday night. But with all of that being set aside, with all of the excitement, all the Christmas joy, and the trees, and the presents, and the lights, and all of that... We have our hearts set on something a little bit bigger here at Ramsey Heights, don't we? Well, we've been focusing on what the Christmas season really, really, really is. And that's not about trees and it's not about lights. It's about a new plan that God has for this world, a plan that was hatched in the beginning of time. And if we're honest, Christmas is maybe our favorite time of the year, but it's, it's really only a day that we've chosen to remind ourselves of what God did for us, that he came to be present with us. And as we kind of uh, look at the Bible and look at those facts, we, we've got to ask ourselves, well, what is God doing and how do we respond to it? Because even if we focus on the Christmas story, this isn't about mangers and angels and, and shepherds. This is about what God did for us and how much he loves us. And so with that in mind, how do we respond? Well, I, I think that we respond to this story by looking at the way that the people who were originally involved in the story responded. If you look back at the story, God chose imperfect people to carry this plan out. People just like you and me. And God's plan to this day is still carried out through imperfect people like you and me. We know the characters already. We were introduced a couple weeks ago to Zechariah, and he was going into the temple, and he was going to do this big ritual. He's going to get to enter into what is called the holy place, and there he was going to get to address God on the behalf of Israel. And there he would have begged, God, send this Messiah. The very child that you and I are celebrating today, he would have went in there and he would have begged, God, send us a Savior. Send us a Messiah. God, rescue us from our sin. Rescue us from this world that we live in. And in that moment, an angel appeared to him and, and said, hey, you're going to have a son and you're going to name this son John. And, and Zechariah goes, eh, really? Because I'm too old. Aren't you, are, are you sure you're here on the right day? Because there's going to be a younger priest here tomorrow. Did you get your days mixed up? Today is, you know, December 1st, not December 2nd. So are you sure about that? And Gabriel wasn't having any of that. He, he didn't like being questioned. So here's what he did with Zechariah. He said, okay, if you don't believe me, if you're going to use your mouth to doubt God's plan instead of glorify God, 
God's plan, I'm gonna take your voice away from you. And from that moment, Zechariah was not able to speak. Well, the Bible then cuts to the next story of a young girl named Mary, and Mary was betrothed, which is like our form of engagement, she was still yet a virgin. It cuts to her, and Gabriel comes to her, and thank goodness she was just a little bit more gracious in how she accepted this news, and Gabriel says, you are gonna be the mother of the Messiah, of the Savior of the world. And Mary says, just let it happen to me. Like, I, I'll be a part of this plan. Then we see those two stories merge where, where Mary comes and she finds Elizabeth, her cousin, Zachariah's wife, and they celebrate the fact that they're both pregnant with two parts of God's plan. One of them pregnant with the forerunner to the Messiah and one of them pregnant with the actual Messiah. Now, if we keep following the Bible on down here past Mary's spontaneous moment of praise that we looked at last week, it comes back to Zechariah. So if you've got your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read the rest of this chapter. We're not going to do it all in one thing, but we're going to read the rest of this chapter as it pertains to Zechariah. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day, of, uh, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias, after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth opened and immediately and his tongue was loose. And he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round them. And all those things were noise, uh, noise above and throughout all the hill country in Judea. And all that they heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be, that the hand of the Lord was with him? So this, this particular part of the story comes back to Zechariah, and it focuses on the birth of John. And to be honest, in the Christmas story, this is like a forgotten part of the story. Like, we, we, we talk about Mary, we may even talk about John, but we don't really focus on the birth of John. And even if you study commentators of the Bible, they kind of skim over this part. They're like, uh, John was born, they called him this. There, there's not a lot of information about that. So as we look at this, it doesn't seem to really connect to the biblical story that we're thinking of. But I've always been convicted by the way John puts it in the end of his gospel. When he, when he finishes writing, he, he ends his book like this. He says, the world could not contain the volumes if we recorded everything about Jesus Christ. And so what John is saying is you could not have enough books. The world could not contain the books if you wrote everything there was to write about Jesus. And that tells me that was, what was written about Jesus or written about the plan or written about the story is very special. Why did this particular spirit, part of scripture make the cut and maybe some miracle that Jesus did that we've never heard of didn't make the cut. Why did something that Jesus taught make the cut, or not make the cut, but this is in here? It tells me that this is very, very important. And Luke agreed with a scientific mind. Luke records this because he feels like this is crucial, crucial to understanding the story of Jesus Christ, crucial to understanding what we call the Christmas story. So what's the point? I puzzled over this all the week. What, what's the point? How does this relate to the story? Why, why do we have this story about Zechariah getting his voice back and the birth of John? And it finally kind of hit me as I looked at this that, that, that this is not about the birth of John. This is about Zechariah. This is about what God is doing in Zechariah's life. See, Zechariah was the first person in the world to know, outside of God and outside of the angels, Zechariah was the first person to know that the Messiah was coming. That was part of the announcement of knowing that there would be a forerunner. Zechariah is the first to know, and Zechariah is also the first to doubt. 
See, when the angel come to him and said, you're going to have a son and he'll be the forerunner to the Messiah, Zechariah said, that's not possible. And so when you doubt the forerunner is coming, what he's also doubting is he's, he's doubting the Messiah. It, isn't that just like you and me? Like we pray for something and God's like, here, I'll answer it. And they're like, oh, I didn't actually believe that was going to happen. And so in this particular moment, we see a change in Zechariah from who he was to who he is going to be serving God. I really think that the, story, the Bible records this story because Zechariah is the first convert to faith in Jesus Christ. I truly believe that. I really think that that's why this story is in here. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at uh, Zechariah and how he responds to this. So with the birth of John, it happens just like Gabriel said. Elizabeth becomes pregnant even though she's too old. At the birth, they didn't have ultrasounds back there. At the birth, they found out that it was a boy just like Gabriel said. The Bible even tells us that the family rejoiced just like Gabriel said there would be great rejoicing over this child. Everything's happening exactly the way that Gabriel saw it. And we see this change in Zechariah. Our first take-home truth is this, is that the process begins in conversion from doubt to faith. The process begins in conversion from doubt to faith. The first time we see Zechariah, he's, he's very doubtful. He's like, how, how are you going to make this happen? Can, can, can God really do that? Is this actually possible? Quite honestly, this is impossible. God can't do it. And the second time we see Zechariah, he's a little bit different. And I know what you're thinking. It's like, Brian, you think he was converted? You think he became a follower of Christ? You, you think he understood God better? Because he was a priest before this. It sounds like the kind of person that would have been following God already. And that's true, but with the introduction of the Savior in the world, he had to put his faith, not in necessarily being a priest and not in the Old Testament, he had to put his faith in God's new plan for the world. Now, when exactly he came to this moment of faith, I'm not sure. If it was me, I think I would have come to faith when Gabriel takes my voice away. I'm thinking, there's some supernatural powers here. If you can make me quit talking, God's got some kind of something going on with you there. If you can do that, you can probably make my wife pregnant. Uh, maybe he came to faith when Elizabeth first became pregnant. When, when all of a sudden she comes in and she's like, honey, guess what? And he's like, oh my goodness, it's really happening just the way Gabriel said it. It could have been when Mary came, all of a sudden, you know, he's sitting here he's like, maybe it's a coincidence my wife got pregnant. But Mary comes, and now she's pregnant, and she's got the story about how that same angel visited her, and she says, I'm carrying the Messiah. Maybe that was the moment. And it may have even been when the boy comes out, and it is a boy, and he figures out, man, this is happening exactly like the angel said. The Bible doesn't tell us when he came to this moment of faith, but we know that he did. I'm going to explain that here in a second. But here's what happened with him. He came to a moment of faith, not, not because he just thought about it and goes, you know what, I'm going to decide to believe this. He came to a moment of faith because of observation. And a lot of times what it takes to move from faith, I'm sorry, from doubt to faith is that moment of observation. See, he was able to observe God's promises, seeing his wife become pregnant, having a son, hearing the story of Mary. He could, he could experience all of this. And some of us here, we may be asking the same thing. We may be asking that same question. It's like, can we really believe the story of Jesus Christ? Is this not just a Christmas fairy tale like Santa Claus? Can we really be 100% sure that it happened the way that it happened? It's a pretty unbelievable story. When you've got old people that are past childbearing age getting pregnant, virgins getting pregnant, people coming here, a man walking around saying, I am holy man and I'm also holy God, dying on a cross because God loved us so much. Can we really believe that? And if you have that question, I would just encourage you to do the same thing that Zechariah did, is open your mind and open your eyes to observing what God's doing. 
Because just like Zechariah had all of these opportunities to observe what God was doing, he had all these opportunities to see the plan coming together, you and I have those exact same abilities today. If, if you will try, if you're willing to dig into this Bible, dig into this Bible, it won't tell you a single lie. It's here. I, I encourage you, challenge it, question it, try to prove it wrong. You never will. Observe what God has put in his word. And if that's not good enough, maybe the best thing that you can do to observe what God is doing in this plan is observe the people sitting around you. Because what we're fixing to learn about Zechariah, this process that he goes through, this change that happens in him, this movement from doubt to faith and then what follows, there are people in this room going through that process at this moment. And the greatest testament to Jesus Christ in this world right now is the way that you and I have been changed. And so if you're sitting here and you're in that in between doubt and faith, be willing to observe, be willing to see what's happening. Zechariah didn't have much of a choice. God told him, you're going to shut up until you believe. You're not going to talk until that moment. But, but at that moment, things will change. So here we go, eight days after the birth of John, it comes to the circumcision ritual. Now this is something that God had spelled out very clearly in the Bible, that for eight, after eight days, that a male child will be circumcised. And this is for many reasons. This is part of the covenant between God and his people. This is part of people being set apart. This was part of honoring your ancestors through the circumcision ritual. But this was a giant thing that was celebrated. It's kind of like baptisms today. Like, like when somebody gets baptized, we call the whole family and said, you better come to church because we're fixing to see someone express their faith in God. And circumcision was that same thing. And so eight days after, maybe for several reasons God said eight days. Number one, some people believe it was good for that child to experience at least one Sabbath before that, one day of rest, one day of worship before that moment. Some people believe it had to do with the mother. She was considered ceremonially unclean after childbirth for seven days, and so the eighth day would make that clear. God in his infinite wisdom, he knew that this medical procedure would need to be um, done on the day that vitamin K, the thing that helps your blood clot, is at the absolute highest that it'll ever be on your life on the eighth day of your life. And so God knew that a child needed to wait till that moment for that. But for whatever reason, here we are eight days later, eight days later, and it's time for this ritual. And here comes everybody. Here comes the cousins. Here comes the family. Here comes the friends and the neighbors. And they're having this celebration of this child, especially the fact that this child is miraculous. Even if they don't quite understand what God's doing, we know Elizabeth is too old to have a child. And so they come over, and in the middle of, they're like, so you're, you're going to name him after his father, right? You're going to name him Zachariah. He's going to carry his father's name. And, and Elizabeth goes, no, no, we, we've, we've chosen the name John. And they look at her and go, you sure about that? Uh, because there's, there's nobody in your family named John. Now, listen to me. If you think that your family is dysfunctional, if you think that they're a little bit overbearing, uh, you, you, you might want to look in the Bible. Because here, who are these people that get in the Bible and they're arguing with a new mother over the name of her child? Who is that? And I studied this and here's what I think. I think it was her mother-in-law. That's who I think it was. The Bible doesn't say this, but that's really who I think it was. And here, here's the reason. They come, they come to Mary and like, you, you know, you've got a pretty awesome husband. You should name your son after your husband. Name him Zachariah. And Mary goes, no, no, his name is John. And, and then they go, really? Well, I'll see what dad has to say about that. And they go run and they ask Zachariah instead of taking her at her word. I think it was mother-in-law who did this. It doesn't say that, but that's what I've decided in my mind anyway. So they, they do this and there's this, this concept over the name and the name for this child is so important. 
When Elizabeth says, we choose the name John, we, we're going to name him John. The, the reason behind that is because Gabriel had given this name to this child back in verse 13. Gabriel had told Zechariah, you're going to have a child. His name will be John. It wasn't a question. It's like, if you would like to, you can name his John. His name will be John. And the reason that this name is so important is because John actually means Yahweh has been gracious. God has been gracious to us. See, at this time, there, there was a, I, and I still believe this a little bit today, if you teach long enough, there are certain things that you will never name your children because names carry certain behaviors with them. I won't pick any out because you're probably related to somebody with that name. But certain names carry certain behaviors and you never, never name your child certain things because everyone you've ever taught was horrible. But back at this time, especially, there was this concept that your name carried something about your personality. And that's why they wanted to name this child Zachariah. Because the name of Zechariah would mean that this child is going to follow in his father's footsteps. He's going to be a holy man of God. He's going to become a priest and he's going to serve God in the temple. That was the purpose of the name Zechariah. But God, in saying that, no, that we have a different name here, we're going to name him John. God's saying, I have a different path for this child than what he would have normally went through. His job is not to follow the path of his father. His job is to proclaim the goodness of God. John is going to be the forerunner to Jesus Christ, and his whole life is dedicated to saying, God has been gracious. He sent us a savior. And so if they name this child John, or not if they name this child, but this child should be named John to reflect what his actual purpose is. So when they go to Zechariah, they're like, hey, um, your wife wants to name the child this, and we know you're going to disagree because we want to name him after you. We want to name, af name him after you. And they're making motions to him, which I don't know because it says he can't talk, but he's supposed to be able to hear. So they're, you know, playing charades with him, trying to talk to him and stuff. And, and Zechariah, I love the way he responds. He goes, his name is John. Now, now listen, listen that's, a, that's another thing about the whole mother-in-law. You can kind of feel the, the sturdiness in that voice, like, Mom, his name is John. We figured this out. But look at what he said. He doesn't say, no, we've chosen to name him John. This isn't up for discussion. He says his name is John. I, I love that word is in there. I, I love the way that he says this. He, he's leaving it to no doubt. There's no doubt what his name is. His name is already predicted. This is not up for discussion. We, we have picked this. God has picked this. That is what his name is. And that language is put there for a purpose so that people know that he was already named that. This is the first time that we see Zechariah invested in the plan of God. Up to this point, we, we can assume that he's probably come to faith because he's seen the miraculous happen. We can assume that maybe he's even starting to get excited. But for the first time in what God recorded for us, we see him invest in the plan of God. We see him really take root in this and say, I'm going to follow God because he chose to name the child what he uh, was told to name him. That brings us to our, our next take-home truth is that faith is manifested in obedience. Faith is manifested in obedience. Listen carefully. I want to make sure that we don't get this mixed up. Salvation is free, and all it takes is faith, but you do not have a true faith if you do not have obedience. See, this took for Zechariah more than a belief that this had happened. He could look at the child and say, I believe that this child was given to us. But he made a surrender into that moment that, that I'm going to put my trust in God's plan here. If God says this child should be named John and that his life will take a completely different trajectory instead of following mine, we're going to name him John. And for the first time, we see him surrendering to God's will. And the Bible talks a lot about us coming to faith and surrendering to God's will. The Bible says this, that even demons believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and they even tremble. It says, but they can't be saved. 
It, it takes more than that belief to actually have faith. It says in James that faith without works is dead. And so what the Bible tells us is this, is that a true faith comes coupled with obedience. Now listen carefully. You cannot earn your salvation, but if you truly put your faith in God, it will change you and it will change the way that you act. Well, we see that here in Zechariah. It changed him. See, the story, what Gabriel came, Gabriel didn't come to him to inform him. Gabriel didn't come to him to say, you're going to have a child and you need to be ready. Gabriel came to him to call him to be a part of a plan. And this is why Zechariah was muted, because he doubted his calling to be part of a plan. Not because he didn't understand what was going on, but because he said, I don't really know if that's where my life is actually going to go. And with this naming of this child, with this picking of this name John, he decides that he is going to accept that calling. And I know that this is a big moment in the story because the Bible continues and says, at that moment, he immediately spoke. His mouth was immediately open. And we see this awesome thing in Zechariah. The last thing we heard him say in this Bible, he was doubting God. And the first thing that he says when his voice opens up is he begins to praise God. The thing that was taken away from him because he wasn't using it for the purpose God gave him, give him was given back in that moment, going from questioning to glorifying God. And the truth of it is, is some of us are, we're stuck in between this faith and obedience stage. Like, like we have a belief in God, but we just don't know if we're willing to follow him when he calls us to do something. We don't know if we're ready to really surrender every part of our life. It's, it's good enough to just believe, Right? Some of us are here this morning and we have a faith in God and we follow the rules and we say we're being obedient, but that's not obedience to God's will. That's legalism. That, that's just following rules for the sake of following rules. And you see this in Zechariah. He was a priest. He knew the rules. He believed in God. He could follow the rules, but God required more out of him. God required a faith with an obedience to the calling that he had given him. Some of us are in the same place. Maybe we're following the rules or we're kind of following the rules. We're following the rules we like. But we refuse to give God what he calls us to give. We refuse to really surrender our life and say, God, my life is about your plan. And if I'm, if I'm in a place that's not in your plan, I give that up. Zechariah was in that exact same moment. And here is what is important about that. If we get stuck in that moment, if we get stuck somewhere between faith and actual obedience, if we get stuck in trying to follow the rules but not following God, we miss the next step. We miss the, miss the next step of the process of what God is trying to do in us. Let's continue reading the story. Let, let's see what happens with Zechariah, starting in verse 67 here. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, may, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. I love what Zechariah does here. This is called Zechariah's song. It's very, very much the same as what Mary did. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he just gets into the spontaneous moment of worship. And he's holding a weak old child. And his worship is not focused on that child. 
His worship is focused on what God's got coming next, the next part of the plan, the unborn Messiah that's running about six months behind this. He's focused on that, and he's focused on what this means when he sees that revelation that we talk, revolution that we talked about. He talks about this new child being uh, God visiting us and redeeming us. He sees a present God who redeems and rescues and comes close to us, and that's, that's what he praises about. And in this moment, you get the sense that he's excited. Do you guys see that? Zechariah isn't just like, praise be to God, and he's bringing us a Savior. He's excited. Everybody's listened to him. He's got this moment of joy. That brings us to our next take-home truth here, is that obedience delivers joy. I'm gonna say that again because I think that in the Christian life, we may have missed that a little bit. Obedience to God's will will bring you joy. It seems like the antithesis to everything that we've ever been taught in church, right? Like we've been taught, like, like yes, uh, following God will make you miserable, but this is the suffering you must do to get to heaven. And that's, that's not what God has for us at all. He, he doesn't have for us a life where we just kind of suffer and toil trying to follow these rules and being miserable while everybody else in the world has fun, and then we earn our way into heaven. That's not what he's doing. That's, that's that legalistic obedience that we were talking about. There is joy found in surrendering to his will. And, and some of us need to hear this. There will never be joy found in legalism. There will never be joy found in having rules and following them. But there is joy found in surrendering to the will of God. I was speaking with some friends the other day. And we were just kind of reminiscing, you know, about the good old days. We're getting old enough now to use the term the good old days in our early 30s here. And back in the days when we were teenagers, man, we had it all. We'd sit on tailgates every night. We'd, we'd get some, you know, wood and go build bonfires. The only thing that we had to worry about was where we were going to eat that night. And we were talking about how good those days were. And I can tell you something about those teenage boys. Those teenage boys didn't want to grow up. If you had told us at that time, you know, hey, uh, one day you're going to get married, and like, I don't, I don't want to get married because getting married means that I have a wife and I have responsibilities and eventually we'll have kids and then there's smelly diapers and all of this stuff. And, and those teenage boys would have never wanted the life that we all have now because we knew that we were going to have to get up, give up those moments racing trucks out of town or sitting on tailgates, those moments hanging out with each other. And, and here we are like 15 years later and, and guess what we've all done? We, we've given up that life and we now have those things that we swore we never wanted wives and kids and mortgages and houses and yards that have to be manicured we have all of those things and as we discussed this we, we came up with this this thing is uh this understanding is not a one of us would go back I'm not going to lie to you. There's, there's every once in a while there's a day where I wish I could go back and sit on a tailgate and my biggest decision in life was whether we were going to eat Wendy's or Domino's. But I would not sacrifice what I have now to go back to that moment of being a teenage boy. Because what I found is as much fun as we had sitting on tailgates, it's more fun laying on the couch with your family watching Christmas movie. As much joy as you find in friendship, it's nothing compared to what you'll find in playing peekaboo with your daughter. And, and, and this is the same way with our experience with God is that yes, you're gonna have to give things up. God will call you to give things up. God will empty you, but he will immediately fill you with something that will bring you much, much more joy. We just have to be willing to step into that obedience. And if we can truly give our life over to God, we're gonna be having, I'll just put it this way, a different kind of fun. 
Zacharias was filled with that joy, that moment that he surrendered to God's will, that moment that he experienced everything, that moment that he did what God asked him to do and named the child John. He experiences that kind of joy, and we're going to look at what it brings him to. This joy actually causes him to view this plan and his son differently. We're going to read the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 76 here. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. And he's speaking to his son, John. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. If you look at what he's saying here, he, he looks at John and, and his whole world perspective has been changed. Think about Zechariah. How many years had he begged God for a son? How many times had he thought about, I'm gonna have these experiences with a child. I'm gonna have a son that grows strong and he's gonna be a reflection of me. And everybody's gonna look at my son and think this way. And here in this moment, holding his one-week-old son, he looks down at the child and says, oh, you've got so much coming in life. You get to be a servant of the Messiah. You, you get to go before him and proclaim salvation to the world. You see, Zachariah's perspective has went from looking at himself and what he's getting to looking at what God is gonna do for this child. His focus is still on the Savior, on the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the author of salvation, the salvation of Israel. He looks at that and he is so excited, not just that the salvation he comes, that he looks at himself and he looks at his son and says, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of this master plan that God has coming. And listen, me and you, we are in the exact same place. We can look at what God is doing in the world. We can look at his overall plan, and guess what? We get to be a part of it. And, and we can find joy in this fact that we get to be a part of it. Our last take-home truth is this, is that joy addicts us to service. Joy addicts us to service. lost my train of thought. That ever happened to y'all? Like you're getting ready to go somewhere and then it just disappears? Okay, here we go. So we, found vi we find value in joy. We spend our whole life chasing joy, don't we? We think that joy will be found in watching football games and you know how that went yesterday. We, we think that joy will be found in friendships. We think joy will be found in money. And when we think we can find joy, we invest in joy. And what Zachariah found in this moment is he found his joy. He found his joy not in himself, not in what he had, not in what people thought of him. He found his joy in the fact that the Savior of the world was coming and that he gets to be a part of it. He found his joy in service. And so when he found out how to access that joy, he began to try to buy more joy. He tried to invest in that joy. And that's the same thing that we do now. If we find joy in being part of the plan, we get to invest in it. We get excited about being part of God's plan. And it comes to this full circle. Like, I'm excited. I've got joy from God, so I want to serve God. And that brings me joy, so I want to serve God more, which brings me more joy, which means more service. And this is a never-ending cycle of being addicted to serving God because it brings us such an immeasurable amount of joy. And like Zechariah, your and my biggest joy will always be found in serving God. If we truly invest in that plan, and I don't mean following the rules, I don't mean coming to church, if we truly invest in that plan and say my life is about God's plan in my life and my life is about doing God's work, you will find immeasurable joy 
Ask anybody who truly has a heart for service, whether it's witnessing, whether it's teaching, whether it's just being the person that, that, that loves and hugs people when they need hugs. You will never find the kind of joy that you find in serving God. So let's look at the process for Zechariah here. He went from doubt to faith, faith to obedience, obedience to joy, and joy to service. Let me say that again because I'm fixing to ask you a question. Listen carefully. Doubt to faith, faith to obedience, obedience to joy, and joy to service. Where do you fall on that spectrum? In your daily walk, where are you at? Because undoubtedly, there's some people here that they're still sitting in between still sitting in between doubt and faith. Some of us are sitting in between faith, but we haven't really surrendered to God and let him have his way in our life. Liv, if you want to go ahead and hide up here. Some of us are sitting in between obedience and joy. We've got this legalistic view of what it means to be a Christian, but we haven't learned to access God's plan for our life just yet. And there's some of us that are sitting here as we've got the joy of the Lord, but for some reason, we don't let it addict us to service. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, is where are you at on that spectrum? And then with this Christmas story, this excitement over this new child, this change in the world, this new plan that God's bringing about, is that enough in your life to influence you to go the next step? Is it enough in your life to make you cry out for the first time to God? God, I, I put my trust and my faith in you. I move past my doubt. Is it enough to make you feel like I have not been who God has called me to be and to move to obedience? Is it enough to make us move to service? Is it enough to make us become addicted to that joy? I ask you this morning what your next step is, and I don't expect you to tell me, but I want you to think, where are you at? And are you willing to let God move you to that next step? Would you stand, please?